Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, before I get started today, happy anniversary, everybody. Happy anniversary. It's good to be here today. Uh, So I want to tell you a little bit about uh, an opportunity before us, uh, before we get started in the sermon. Uh, If you were here last year, you know that we were not here last year, Uh, that we were in an art gallery and uh, breaking fire codes every week, praise God. Um, We had 311 called on us. It was a movie. So uh, it was very dramatic. But by God's grace, the Lord kept us. And then uh, the night that we were doing a worship and testimony night, my wife walked past this space and she said, man, this would be an incredible space. She looked into it and before we knew it, we came in here. So um, my staff and uh, some of our leaders were like, you know, two year, two year lease, not a long time. So we need to be thinking beyond two years. I said, I am thinking. I don't know what to do, but I am thinking about it, praise God. And one of our leaders, Jermaine Ty, who is is an incredible dreamer, Jermaine sent me a building and he gave me far more credit than I am due. He said, Pastor, I know you've been praying about it. I know you love the Lord. I know you're trusting God for big things, so I want to send you this building because I know you've been praying about it. I said, I have been praying about it. The building he was talking about is this building right here, this building right behind us. And so I was like, oh, praise God. I look up the building. The building is $28 million. I just thought, I was like, ha, ha. You know how you tap back and be like, ha, ha, ha. I was like, this is, is this a joke? So I didn't, I literally didn't think anything about it. We then had a meeting with all of our leaders. He said, Pastor, did you get my text message? I said, I did. I was like, oh, you're serious. Like, you really think we, okay, praise God. Yeah, I'm praying about it. So I didn't think anything about it. I mean, a $28 million building is far from my vision for what we can do. One day we were in here singing. We might've been singing, You Will Make a Way. I don't know what we were singing, but we were singing. I was standing right over here as I normally stand. And, and then I looked at this building. And you know what I started doing? I didn't start praying. I started cracking up. I was like, that brother is crazy. Ain't no way we're going to get this building. $28 million. While we were singing, and after I finished laughing, I heard a word from the Lord. And I heard the Lord say, if God wants it for you, it's yours. I was like, oh, that messed me up. You know, I, I, you know what it is? I have not allowed God to get involved in the situation. I have limited my vision to our budget and not to who God is. And so I need to let God, I, I really need to ask God, what does he want for me? What does he want for us? Because I could limit this church to what I see versus what God sees. And so I got to involve him in the situation. So I began to pray about it. And, and I said, you know, let me just, let me contact the, the, the owners and just ask, you know, how, how maybe we could do something, a longer lease, you know, something along those lines. Well, I contact them and uh, came to find out, and I'm going to leave out a lot of details here, but I, I came to find out that 
This is a restaurant and an event space, and they have been rethinking if they're gonna continue to be a restaurant and event space. I was like, oh, okay. So, so they're like, we're not even sure if we're gonna be here in February. I was like, no, when you say we, how do you, how, what form of we are we, are we, are we, we, are we, you, we? And he was like, yeah, essentially they could just leave the space sitting here empty and us not be here. And so I was like, man, I thought a lease was a lease, praise God. So, so I began to pray and think, okay, maybe we just need to find another location. We move every year. It's like, so why not? And, um, and then I just, you know, we went, went to the team. We started praying. And I went and I asked, hey, what if instead of you looking for another suitor, another restaurant to come fill in the space, what if we took over the space 24-7? Now, this is not the plan. Like, we didn't envision this. We just got in here last fe this February. So that wasn't the plan. But I said, what would it look like if we took over the space 24-7? And he responded and he said, that is an elegant offer. I was like, wow, I've never heard anything like that. Thank you. That is elegant. Um, and so before we knew it, we began a negotiation with them. The negotiation would be that we would take over this space 24 seven. Um, what we've done now is we have put in a letter of intent to be able to move in here February 1st. So we would be here every day. We would retire the setup team, praise God, so we don't have to transform the space. <laughs> But it's a negotiation. Okay. So how many of y'all know a letter of intent is not a lease? Amen? Y'all know that? Okay. So if you leave out of here and say we have a building, this is, we're recording this, praise God. So this is not, that's not what I said. What I am saying to you is an opportunity. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity before us to be able to have a space here. It will increase our rent. It will be some challenges before us. But we want to discern, is this what God wants for us? If, they, if we're not here, then we may have to find another place. But that's kind of the situation that we're in. It was not our plan, but it was put before us. So I believe that it being an opportunity, the opportunity to take over this space, we, we brought in a general contractor and an architect, and they helped us lay out a vision of removing some of these bars and putting new office space upstairs, creating a 10-year lease. All those things have been put in our letter of intent. And so, um, so we, we sent that out on Thursday evening. All right, we, we're still waiting to hear back from them. So here's what we wanna do. Um, because we have a God that we want to involve, what we'd love for you all to do is join me in prayer on Monday and Tuesday of this week. We won't be praying Wednesday through Friday uh, of this week, but 6.30 in the morning, we're gonna come together and pray. We're gonna pray for four things. We're gonna pray that they would accept our letter of intent. We're gonna pray that they would give us a favorable lease. We're gonna pray that we could move in February 1st of 2024 and that we could have the space 24 seven. But then our deepest prayer is that we would be rooted in the community. I never want us to be known for being a nice looking building. I would love for us to be a place where people know when you walk in you are blessed, that you sense something special, not just in the people, but in the spirit of the living God. And so we want to have deep roots in this community and transform lives. So would you join me in praying 
Monday and Tuesday. And won't it be great to just have a space of our own, signage outside, won't that be great? But what'll be even better are the lives that will change. That there will be people right here on Fulton Mall that we can bless and we can serve. And so would you join me in prayer right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, would you do something special? Would you root us in this community so that people would see the fruit that we bear? Fruit, the kind of fruit that makes lives change, the kind of fruit that reorientates someone to you, the kind of fruit that when someone walks in, they sense not great singing, great preaching, great community, all of that, but more, the spirit of the living God. Because when the spirit of God catches hold of someone, they can't shake him. They can't remake their mind. He makes up our mind for us. So spirit of living God, would you give us this space? But also, would you give us a vision? What, is, what do you want to use this for? May we not be a place that takes from the community, but may we be a place that is generous to the community. May we have a spirit of generosity, so much so that when people walk by, they sense that this place has something to offer me, not something they want from me. And I pray, God, that you would anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, my intention was to talk more about being rooted, uh, but as I read Acts chapter 9, I really felt like the Lord was leading me to teach on something that I believe is something we should be cautious of, a warning per se. I want to read quickly a verse from Matthew 16, and then we're going to jump to a few other verses. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is with the disciples, and as he's with the disciples, something interesting happens. They want bread. Now, you've got to remember that Jesus has already fed the 5,000, and they're sitting there wondering, oh, we, we forgot bread. And Jesus says something out of nowhere that they were not prepared to hear. Here's what Jesus says. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Out of nowhere, he says it. Now, you have to understand what Jesus is actually saying. They're saying, we don't have bread. But here's what he's saying you should be really concerned about. Leaven is the material within bread that causes the dough to rise. But oftentimes in the Bible, leaven is used as an analogy to talk about how sin can spread in a community. Other verses would say a little leaven leavens the whole dough. The idea is sin can spread and rise in a community. So when he says, they're sitting there talking about bread, hey, we want some more bread. He says, no, 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 you don't need to worry about physical sustenance. Here's what you need to worry about. There is sin that can creep in, and there's a particular type of sin. He said, the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, if you know anything about Pharisees and Sadducees, this was a community, a religious sect, that whittled down the laws up to about 600 laws from the Mosaic Covenant, that God would allow them to achieve. In other words, they were achievable laws, tithing, sacrifices, things of that nature, 600 of them. So the Pharisees had all these external religious uh, look. They had an external religious look. And 
He says, disciples, don't worry about bread. Worry. Be careful about having a religiously proud spirit rise among you. That's what you should be concerned about. One of the things that we see within the body of Christ is a tension that before you know it, we come together and pride can seep in. What I'm talking about are self-righteous Christians. Self-righteous Christians are often what caused you not to like the last church you were at. People were so judgmental. People were so mean-spirited. People were always looking you up and down. I hated their self-righteousness, but if we're not careful, Bridge Church, we can be just like them. Because there's a tension to always feel like we're a little bit better than the next church. We're a little bit better than other Christians. Self-righteousness creeps in. And what he's saying is, you ought to be careful, disciples. Jesus was saying that to disciples thousands of years ago. He's right there with them. How much more should we be careful that we could get a religious spirit even in our midst? Well, I'm not talking about any unique group in this church. I'm saying all of us can become religiously proud. Oh, the self-righteous Christian, they build themselves up in what they know, what they do, and what they don't do. Oh, yeah, they know stuff. You know the hardest person to preach to is the person that has read something you've already preached about, and they're like, oh, I know this already. I just, it's, just, it's old news, you know what I'm saying? I, I read that two years ago. You know, and there's a certain type, a humble Christian says, I need this again. But a proud Christian says, I've been there, I've done that. And what they need is they need me to entertain them every week, to give them a higher level of education every week. And if they don't have a new toy in their Cracker Jack box, they said they're not being fed. And what they, what they do, they're, I've been a part of a team, I've been on a mission trip, I've led, I've sang. They've done things, oh, but they're also known for what they don't do. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't wear them clothes like them people because those people are like those people. And we're not like them. I'm not like them. And if you're very careful, if you're not careful, we'll be a church known not for who we are, but who we're not. We're not like them. It creeps in. It seeps into your language as you scroll and look at other churches. I'm always asked, what's your opinion on this guy? What do you think about Mike Todd? I'm like, let Mike Todd be Mike Todd. I am not going to sit here all day and judge somebody in Tulsa. <laughs> I do not know that man. I do not care. Let's talk about you. What do you think about this podcast? I do not care. Let's talk about you. I am not concerned about internet success. I'm, an, I'm concerned about sanctification, because do you know you can become famous on the internet but not change lives in real life? Woo! Clicks, subscriptions, fame. And then it's crazy how we've made someone who died on a cross and gave his life 
It is amazing that there is an impetus within the Christian circle to want to use the name of Jesus to become famous. That blows my mind. Someone who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He's not saying that we might be known by the world, but that we might be made right with God. And it is for his glory that we tell his story. It is for his glory that we sing. It is for his glory that we gather. And so we may not impress you every week. You hear me, Christian? We may not be as, we may not be better than the next church. What we want to create for you is an encounter with Jesus every week. That our worship team, that our preaching is not laced in impressive statements, but it has been laced and saturated in the spirit of God. And it may not impress you every week, but hopefully it edifies you. And it just tells the truth. And if we're not careful, beware. If we're not careful, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, I will allow a proud religious spirit to seep in. And when you become religiously proud, here's what you have to create. You have to create more windows than mirrors. In other words, you've got to look more at other people than you look at your own sin. Because the religious spirit always finds someone to be better than. Always. The man we will read about today hated Christians. He was, for Christians, the greatest adversary. And he would go on to become their greatest advocate. He wanted to kill all those who named the name of Jesus, and he wanted to kill them for one reason and one reason alone. He was a self-righteous man, a man who says he's searching for God, but in actually he wants to hate other people and build himself up on their flaws. Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, the scripture reads about who he is. It says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That, that means he's essentially saying, I was raised in a very religious home. Circumcision, in the text, says in Genesis and Leviticus that you were to circumcise by the eighth day. Many, though, many children, males, would be circumcised when they're 12 or when they became older. But on the eighth day of his birth, he was circumcised. So what he's saying is, I was raised right. He, he also says... I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So when he says a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's, he's saying, I not only am Hebrew in lineage, but I also speak the native language. That means that they would give him a higher order of leadership because he was able to speak the Hebraic tongue. But look what he says here. Not only Hebrew Hebrews, he says, I'm a Pharisee. Now we say Pharisaical now or Pharisee as a diss, but at the time he's saying, I am of the religious order where I keep the law, and I teach the law. And then look what he says at the end. At the very end, he says, as to righteousness under the law, what's that last word say? Blameless. I don't smoke, don't drink, you know what I'm saying? I do all the right things. And because I do the right things, 
I notice all the wrong things in other people. I do the right things. I live the right way. I was raised right. I read the Bible a lot. I pray a lot. I'm in church a lot. I know these people sing. I'm a worshiper. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm intimate with Jesus. Oh, yeah. And it is because of this spirit, it can seep into your prayer life. Luke 18, the story of the, the publican, the tax collector. Look, look here, Luke 18. The man is praying, and he is a Pharisee, and he's looking at a tax collector, and they in church, basically. And he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. Man, I'm not like them robbers. He's thinking of people on the outside. I'm not like them evildoers. He's thinking of people on the outside. I'm not like the adulterers. He's thinking of people on the outside. Then look what he does. He says, and I'm not like this tax collector. And he's looking in the building. He's like, look at him. You know, Lord, I thank God I'm not like her. Ooh, I thank God I'm not like him. Look, 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 look at him. Look, look, look at, look at over there. Oh, tax collecting self. Look at you. In other words, I don't know how good I am with God, but I know I'm better than him. Oh, I know I'm right with God. And I may not be more righteous than anyone, but I know I'm better than him. And self-righteousness needs somebody to be better than. Someone to look down on. Someone to build myself up above. I'm not like those people. Believer, know today there is something within you, the spirit of, the, spirit of self-righteousness that so easily creeps in that will always cause you to have a people, a them people, a type of person that you feel better than, that you're better than. Oh, yes. And so how do we make sure we're not like that as a church in our ninth anniversary? Well, what we want to do every Sunday is not just educate you. We want to give you an encounter with Jesus. We believe that Jesus died on a cross, and then on the third day, he rose again. He walked around on earth for 40 days, and then after those 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we believe that through his spirit, he's able to speak to us today. That means that when we come together, we are trusting that a man is not talking to you, but the spirit of God is actually convicting you. We believe that when we worship and then we sing, that there's actually an intimate atmosphere that we are creating with God's spirit, that though Jesus sits high, his spirit is with us. In other words, we're not just trying to educate you, we're trying to give you an encounter every week. What cuts away at pride? Jesus, being in his presence. Isaiah saw the Lord. And Isaiah, the minute he saw him, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. You cannot look at the Lord and not see your own flaws. Holiness does that. It humbles you. His presence does that. And so that's what we're doing. We're not trying to produce educated Christians as much as we're trying to give you an encounter with Christ. That is our prayer. Jesus, to meet with Jesus. And that is not only our prayer on Sundays, that is the essence of our purpose statement. You know, when we, years ago, when we put together our purpose statement, we were trying to think of terms and words of the type of church we wanted to be. 
And as we thought about the type of church we wanted to be, you know, we thought about, man, there's a lot of words that we could say, but the one phrase that really reached out to us was reaching people where they are. As you know, our purpose statement is to reach people where they are and help them grow so that they can impact the city for Jesus. Reaching people where they are is tough. Where they are, people are in a lot of different places, y'all. It's easier to recruit people like me, to recruit religious people, to recruit church kids. It's harder to reach people where they are. It's harder to reach people that are all over the map spiritually, religiously, identity. All those things are difficult. But we believe that that's the call in our church to reach people where they are because Jesus would meet people while they were sinning. Not after they finished sinning. They were sinning and sinning good. They were sinning and thinking about sinning. They were sinning and planning on sinning more. And Jesus met them while sinning not when they got done with sin. The Bible says, Jesus talks about himself in Luke 7. He says, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said, this is what everyone says of me, that I'm a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They collecting taxes right now and Jesus is a friend to them while they're still collecting taxes. He's a friend to them while they're still sinning. And that is the posture that we've always wanted as a church, that we would reach people that were all over the map, that were sinning all over the map. But there's a difference now, as a caveat, there's a difference between being a friend of sinners and going out with your friends to sin. That's the two totally different worlds. But what we believe is that Jesus meets people at all different types of places. And the, the essence of the stories that we have here today, hopefully are people who felt like this was a space that they could meet with Jesus. No matter what their background was, no matter what they were doing at the time. And as we thought about our purpose statement, as we put this together, we thought about Jesus, but we couldn't help but remember our own stories. Have you ever been walking and someone just walk in front of you, just blindside you? Ever been blindsided before? You're in my way. Get out my way. I'm trying to go one direction. You're getting in the direction. For me, I was not searching for Jesus. I was blindsided by Jesus. In college, uh, there are some people who have been at this church for nine years, uh, so you've heard this before, be entertained, right? Laugh, laugh at the right parts. <laughs> cry when I trigger you, though, to cry at the right parts, no. But in college, here was my purpose statement, have a good time. Whatever I could do to have a good time. If it had a good time, I was down for it. Are we drinking? As long as we have a good time. I'll sleep with, you know, if it was sleeping with a woman, just as long as I could have a good time. Drugs, of course, have a good time. That's all I want to do was have a good time. And so my entire life had come to this place where 
I was wiling out and loving it. And so I was not walking into church like teach me about a text. I was committed to having a good time. I would while out. I was planning on having more of a good time. Was not committed to, I was committed to gin and juice, okay? Was not committed to Jesus. So what does that mean? That means that I was on my way to more sin. And then February 23rd, 1998, Jesus met me in my room. I was sitting there, and I can remember the sun beaming in. And as it beamed in, I can remember I felt the presence of Jesus. And I just began to break down and cry. And I remember just thinking to myself, God, what am I supposed to do next? I would go on to join a Bible study. And in joining that Bible study, I found myself, I found myself growing and changing. And God was changing my life. And I began to see that though my life was being changed, my friends didn't want to come with me. My friends from the club, my frat brothers, my friends from the football team, they did not want to come with me. And so we created a Bible study on our campus. And I would be reading the book of Philippians on Tuesday and teaching it on Wednesday. But they came because they saw Jesus in my life. And that, for me, transformed me. It made me want to tell the story of Jesus even more, to be able to have my life be used for other people. That would start for me a new life. I would go on to pastor a church, but here is the saddest account. The Bible study we started, we saw people all from the club. They would be clubbing, and they'd come right in from the club, stinking, smelling like club. We'd have football players, just loud. Just loud people, them football players. We'd have all types of people coming in, but they felt like they could be someplace and grow in our space. In 2006, I became a pastor of a church. I took over the church, and as I took over the church, I would hear the way that our Bible study, we would have Bible study on Wednesdays, I would hear the way we would talk about people outside of our church. And I was like, y'all, have y'all, did y'all sin? Have y'all sinned before? Do y'all remember your story? Because every Christian has a past. There is no one that came out the womb and came to church and just budded into sanctification. Everyone has a past. And it confused me because I was like, I thought you come to Christ because you become convicted of your sin and he dies for sin. Is there any sin? Did y'all ever sin? Was there sin in ever happening? And it made me afraid because you could tell the church had built itself up on being a church. It built itself up on having more friends at church. It had built itself up on being a community but not reaching the community out there. And I don't believe that that is because of the church in Raleigh. I believe that's a spirit that can seep into a church. That can seep into you. It can seep into me. That there's a better, that, 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 that there's a better than spirit. Better than them. Better than others. And the only way that we can ensure that that spirit never creeps into our church 
is to ensure that we individually are creating a personal encounter with Jesus that seeps from us into the world, that his presence overwhelms us, that daily we are having an encounter with Jesus. And this apostle Paul that we speak of that would go on to kill Christians, he does not run to Jesus. He's not like Nicodemus, like, teach me in the middle of the night. Paul the apostle was blindsided by Jesus. He got in his way. Meet me real quick in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. It says that Saul approved of his execution. If you were here last week, we talked about Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was martyred and he was stoned. And as he's being stoned, they would take off their cloaks. And as they took off their cloaks, they put them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul would be right there as they killed him, killed him, killed him. Saul was celebrating that man's execution. And so when we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says Saul approved of his execution. Not only did they lay the cloaks at his feet, but he approved his execution. And the verse goes on to say, there arose that day a great persecution. That day, Stephen's murder would now create a desire for Christians to have genocide committed against them. And Saul led the charge to kill Christians. It says this great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, and except the apostles. Verse 2, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Verse 3, look this. But Saul was ravaging the church. That word ravage is the same word that you would think of hostility towards destruction. He wanted to destroy the church. And look what he does. He enters house to house. He's targeting Christians. If you enter house to house, that means that you've been trying to find out addresses. And as you find out these addresses, you break and enter. You bust into homes. And look what it says. After he enters the house, he drags off men and women. And then he commits them to prison. In order to do that, you have to be able to have the rights given to you by the Roman authorities to be able to bust in someone's home, put them in prison, and kidnap them. And that's exactly what Paul does. Paul kidnaps them, puts them in prison, targets them, and he is trying to commit genocide and execute as many Christians as possible. He hates them. He hates them deep in his heart. Verse 3, it says, now, look, now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Damascus is where many of these Christians have run to. They're scattered. They're trying to figure out what to do next. So they run away. Damascus is a week's walk away from Jerusalem. So as they run away, it says, and suddenly a light. 
sorry, I just want to go back to verse 1 and 2. It says in verse 1 and 2, it says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He goes to the high priest and asks him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, meaning that he's getting this religious sanction to go after them so that finding anyone belonging to the way. Then he's on his way and he's approaching Damascus. The power of this text is Saul is on his way to kill Christians. He's willing to walk a week's worth of a walk to find more Christians and kill them. You have to understand, he was in Jerusalem, tracked Christians down, went to their homes, put them in prison, tries to kill them. Now he gets approval. He's trying to find more Christians to kill them. He's going to walk now to Damascus to kill, to murder, and to execute. And while he's doing that, while he's on his way, what happens? The Bible says, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are, listen, present tense, persecuting. You're doing that right now. And I just don't know we know how good the gospel is. Because I serve a God that will meet you right while you're sinning. I'm talking about planning on sin. I'm talking about sin is in the trunk. You got it on ice. Sin is in the back seat. Sin is in your Rolodex. Sin is in your phone. Sin is in your vision. Sin is all in your feed. You are sinning to sin and sin more. He's on his way to sin. I don't know if we know how good the gospel is. He's on his way to sin. He can't help but sin. He loves sin. He don't love Jesus. He loves sin. And all he wants to do, his plan for his life, is more sin. And not more Jesus. And I don't know if we know how good the gospel is. Because if you've met Jesus, guess what? He got in your way too. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know your story. But you haven't been good all your life. You haven't been sitting in these seats all your life. He got in your way. And when he gets in the way, when he interrupts you, what it does is it humbles you. And what does he do? He does not call him persecutor. He does not call him killer. He does not call him threat. He calls him by name. Saul, I know you, Saul. Oh, I've known you since you were in the womb. I know you. And I know you want something more out of this life than what you're currently doing. Saul, Saul. And whenever you see repetition in the Bible, it is an indication of creating more awareness. And some of you have heard your name two times. Oh, you've heard it again and again and again. And you, you've maybe not responded, but you've heard your name. And you can't shake it when God is trying to get your attention. When I was a young man, I remember I talked to my auntie, my aunt Viola, and I asked her one day, 
Uh, by, how do you know when God is talking to you? And she gave me this theologically robust statement. She said, baby, sometimes you know that you know that you know. And here's the truth. If God was speaking to your life, you know that you know that you know. It was not James, it was not Mark, it was not Bridge, it wasn't anybody else. It was Jesus, because here's the thing, you can shake off YouTube, you can shake off James, but you can't shake Jesus. Nah, you can't shake Jesus. I was telling the, the first service, people, I was talking to my homeboy last night, he's like, well, a lot of people, you know, are deconstructing, and a lot of people don't want church no more, because after COVID, you know, people don't want church no more. I was like, after COVID, I didn't want church no more. What are you talking about? You don't want to come to church neither. You don't come to church. It's tired of church. I like, I like the couch. Sure. The couch was banging. You know what I'm saying? Loved it. Sundays, all mine. Praise God. That was awesome. I mean, I, COVID wasn't often, often, but the rest, I'll take that again. Praise God. Are you serious? I, I can shake off church. I can't shake Jesus. I, I can't shake him off. He, he got in my way. He took over my life. And here's, here's all I have to say. I discovered his way is better than mine. Because if it wasn't, I'd still be doing what I was doing. Because I was doing it good. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Kidding, 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 kind of. Just having a good time. If Jesus wasn't better than sin, we'd still be sinning. If Jesus wasn't better than sin, you'd still sin. But I've discovered that Jesus is better than sin. Because sin's good in the moment, but it comes with regret. It always got that receipt called regret. Always good at night, but in the morning, guilt comes in the morning. With Jesus, joy comes in the morning. Huh? Yeah. And so here's, here's church. How do we stay humble? Oh, we're not a big deal. First of all, we're not a big deal. But I believe even where we're at right now, each of you and me, we can still become proud Christians. Oh, God, I pray we never become self-righteous. Oh, God, I pray that you never get a self-righteous spirit inside of you. Oh, I remember them people in that church. You can be like those people you couldn't stand. That deacon board you talked about. That, that church mother with that hat that looked you up and down and had the candy and all that. Don't think you can't be her or him. The same religious spirit, it creeps in. You just need to find someone to be a little better than. Someone to be angry at. Someone to hate a little bit. And so I believe that the way that we keep a humble spirit is what we see happening in Paul. The first thing is Jesus called him by name, Saul. Saul. Do you know that when you sit down with the word of God, you are not just trying to get words in you? So many times people are like, I don't like to read the Bible, but to understand, I know people, they don't like to read the text, but if they get a long text message from a friend, they, they all of a sudden they like to read. It's just about which text we're reading, right? And what I've discovered is it's not about the text, it's about the intimacy with the author. And if you just sit down and decide, I wanna hear from you, I wanna know your ways. 
I want to meet with you today. I don't want to have educated Christians. I want us to be Christians that have an encounter on a regular basis. And if that encounter gets in you, I begin to notice it in you. Oh, because you can't shake him. You can't shake him. If, 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 you, if you've been in his presence, you can't shake him. He hovers around you. His peace is on you. His joy is on you. He'll call you by name and he'll bring you into his presence. But secondly, he convicted Paul of his sin. He says, uh, you've been persecuting me, meaning my body. If you continually sit with Jesus and you never feel conviction of sin, I don't think you're sitting with Jesus. Isaiah got before the Lord. The minute he got in the Lord's presence, he says, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I need to reorder some things. I'm, I saw you and then I saw me and I'm like, I'm not like you. You can't be in God's presence and not have a conviction of sin. And then thirdly, he says, who, who are you, Lord? He immediately recognizes, you're the Lord, you're the leader. And in the Lordship of Christ, Paul the Apostle would then give the rights of all, every area of his life to the Lord Jesus. This is an encounter you can have every day. Know me by name, convict me of sin, lead me as Lord every day. And if we do that as a community, who cares about a building? We could be in the Marriott. We could be back in an art gallery. We were in a jazz club. We were in a church where we could have no building. God, forgive us if we have a building, but we don't have your presence. Forgive us if we have things. Forgive us if we grow, but we don't have you. Forgive us. Forgive us if we become proud. Never let us grow in pride. On this ninth anniversary, I remember when we were a Bible study and there were just two people and then it became four people and then it became five people and then we became 30 people. And I remember when we were 30 people and I can remember people like, mm, look at our Bible study. We, and, they, and I felt like we had a, all that kind of spirit at 30 people with chairs out. And if we can become proud at 30 people, we can be proud at 300, 600, 900. It is not the amount of people, it's the spirit in them. Lord, always, always make us be aware of what Jesus said. Beware. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you today, make us aware Make us aware of our sin. Let us not be the kind of people that live life looking out windows of other people's sin, but never looking in the mirror of our own. Let us be humble. Let us be humble, Jesus. Bring us low. Never let us look down on anybody. Who are we? Who are we that you know us? You called me by name. You changed my life. God, I pray that you transform lives. Keep calling people by name, Jesus. Keep humbling us daily. And we ask you, God, when you do that, draw people to us. 
Not us, but the Spirit of God in us. Oh God, I want to see more lives changed. I want to see more joy in Jesus. God, do it in such a way. We know it was you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Before we get ready to close, we want to offer you a time, a time where you could now take a step with the Lord Jesus. As we've come here today, we have preached, we've sang, we've celebrated the Lord Jesus. But in this room, we want to offer you an opportunity not to become a member of a church, but to make Jesus Lord. And the two things are not the same. Your mama and daddy might have been deacons and deaconesses. You might have been to vacation Bible school. I'm not asking how much you've done in church. I'm not asking how much Bible you know. I'm not asking about any of that. What I'm asking is, is Jesus right now the leader of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? And some of you have started a walk and you've gotten off path and, and you need to restart. And so today is the day of salvation. I want to offer you an opportunity to come here today to the front. I want to offer you an opportunity to come and give your life to Christ, meaning make him your Lord. Is there one? Is there one? You want to make that decision today. Our arms are wide open like Jesus. He wants to reach you where you are. Is there one? Is there one? Don't wrestle with it anymore. Is there one? Is there one? Don't be afraid. We, every moment there's that moment where somebody's wrestling and thinking. Don't be afraid. Is there one? Is there one you want to make today the day of salvation? Is there one? Is there one? Is that you today? Don't wait. Is that you today? Don't wait. Is that you? Are you sure? Are you sure about you and Jesus? Are you sure? Be sure. Is there one? Oh, I pray that God, that God in his mercy, if you are not sure, I pray that he won't let you sleep at night till you become sure. And there's too many people in this room for everybody to be that clear. So I'll tell you this. I pray you keep coming back. And I pray that at some point you make a decision to come to the altar and to give Jesus the leadership of your life. Now, there might be others of you today that you may not feel ready to come to the front, but you may feel like you want to get a better foundation on your walk with Jesus. We want to offer you a class that we have. If you just text the word FAITH to 55444, we have many people getting baptized from that class. We also have many people that just get a strong foundation for their walk with Christ. We ask that you would just text the word faith to 55444 and that you would give God the leadership of your life. Amen. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.